Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips. For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith, and for other people, it's been liberating. Take us, for example. I'm Stephen. I'm Josh. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum, and as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been, and will always be, an exploratory dialogue. That alone is proof that faith raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time. So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. Howdy, you buckaroos. Welcome, my friends. Well, howdy, partner. Nice. I have started saying howdy more. My excuse is well, I'm from Montana originally, so I it, I can do it. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Isn't yes. the pronoun y'all just such a wonderful genderless egalitarian phrase or term? It's beautiful. Hey, the South gets something right every now and again. That's right. Speaking of the South. Nope, that didn't work. What are you guys drinking? Wow. What? What were you even going I have for? no idea what I, I was can't going even for imagine there. what you were trying to do. No, nope. uh, I, I don't either. I didn't know where I was going. I just tried it. I'm yeah. keeping it simple today. Uh, just a cold, crisp key lime LaCroix. <gasps> As am I. Except <gasps> I am drinking it room temp. I didn't have one in the fridge, but it's still good because it is the king of the LaCroix. It is yes. really the best. And this I'm also drinking true. an AeroPress uh, Ethiopian coffee, and it's delish. Nice. I'm drinking a hint water. This is the blackberry hint water. Very good. Very good. Is it blackberry with hint of water or water with hint of blackberry? Uh, the latter. Is this just a brand? Yeah. Hint? That's cool. I've never but, heard of this. So is it like Propel? It, well, no. Well, yeah, but it's clear. But what's great is it tastes like the fruit. So like watermelon, it tastes like a watermelon, not the sugary overdone watermelon crap, right? Or the questionable fruit where you're like, this says it's cherry, but it doesn't taste like cherry. It tastes like something else. No, hint water tastes just like the fruit and it's so refreshing. It's wonderful. All right. Not fizzy, not sparkling, just just plain bottled hint water. Sold. Well, before we get started, after discussing our drinks here, um, we actually got our drinks bought this week. Uh, I forgot to mention it last week. Welcome, Robin, our newest patron. Lovely to have you. Thank you for supporting. Uh, we beep, really beep, appreciate beep. it. Thank you. Hope to see you and talk to you soon in the Discord. Our neighbor we to the speak- north up there in Canada. Oh, yes. To there's the, north. the segue you were looking for. Speaking of the south, we're south of our newest patron, Robin. Oh. Oh, that does work. Nice well, speaking of our newest patron, Robin, we are doing a patron-submitted question this week. So, yes. Stephen, take it away. Not from Robin, we should be clear. Uh, yeah. We actually have a little bit of a one-two punch here today. We got two voicemails from two different people who were kind of asking questions about the same thing. So we're going to play them both. All right. And then we, we shall create a synthesis. You've got mail. Hey, Josh, Emily, and Steven, and everybody else who's listening. My name is Dak. I have a question about boundaries. 
So I grew up in the church, and as I was growing up, like, your normal state of progression was you go to high school, you graduate high school, you go off to college, you find someone in the Christian faith in college, and you graduate college, you get married, you have kids, you build a life. My life has not progressed down that path. Uh, I thought I would be married, but no, I am not. And I am very much still single, not in any way, in any form of relationship. And I've been thinking about this in ways that have been like, oh, well, maybe that's not how you should be. So, like, what boundaries do you guys have as married and dating people? And, like, in terms of the Christian spectrum, what boundaries have you guys found to be good ones and not so good ones? Hey, guys. It's Courtney. I, the holidays just got me thinking about navigating relationships and conversations with more fundamentalist or conservative family and friends. And what do your boundaries look like when it comes to approaching certain topics, certain family members? Um, do you avoid those people kind of at all costs? Um, or is it relationships that you kind of want to maintain to some extent, um, but know your limits? What does that look like for you? And how are you navigating that post-holidays now? Um, and what did that look like? What do you wish you could change? Oh, man, I love those paired together. Yeah. What very different approaches to asking about boundaries. Um, also, I have to say, before we get into it, I love that we're like going to be talking about the holidays in the off season yeah. per Stevens, like talking about things outside of the news cycle. I love it. I actually love mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Welcome to March where I guess we're creeping up on some holidays, but we're kind of in the middle of kind of a dead zone. That's yeah, true. let's think about next year. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> let's prepare well for Thanksgiving and Christmas this year well in advance. <laughs> but also I love the framework of like what boundaries in Christianity have you been given that like led to good things for you, mm-hmm. but also did not lead to good things for you. I think that that is a fascinating framework, Zach. I really like that. Yeah. I really like his tie back to relationships because I think that that's a really clear example of Boundaries that Christianity, American Christianity specifically, tends to prescribe in terms of like, this is how you should or should not have relationships. And I think it's like really obvious to see where that does and doesn't work out. Yeah. At least to me. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it's like a little bit different for everybody, but like how being the good Christian boy and Mm. guarding your heart or trying to guard other people's hearts or trying to not give into lust or to you know, make sure that you don't cross a line, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to have a romantic relationship. Like, it just doesn't. Like, we can Mm -hmm. act like good boundaries are going to lead us down a certain path. And I think that sometimes good boundaries do, but it definitely doesn't guarantee us anything. Yeah. What my brain was 
immediately drawn to when Zach was pointing out the fact that all three of us are either married or in a relationship and that he is single and then asked the question about boundaries. One of the things that I was reminded of, especially in seminary, was the idea of if you are single, you have more time on your hands. You are more flexible. Ergo, you should be our go to person who should like volunteer for everything, who can do all these things and automatically assuming that if you're married or in a relationship, you can't devote the same amount of time or the same quality of time. And I'm going to throw, sorry, Stephen, you're going to have to make this explicit again, uh, but I'm throwing the bullshit flag on that play because I know plenty of single individuals who are very busy, who have very clear boundaries as far as what they're willing to devote their time to and who they give their time to. And I know plenty of people who are married who are like, I have all the time in the world because my spouse works and makes, you know, six figures and blah, blah, blah. So I think as churches, especially, you know, when people are coming into churches and they see, oh, there's a single lady, like, let's hit her up and see if she'll do all the nursery and Sunday school events. It's like, hey, whoa, boundaries. (laughs) Like, let's be mindful of who the person is and the life that this person has. Uh, That was what I was drawn to because it can be very easy to see married, hitched, together, no time, don't ever ask that person versus you're single, you have all the time in the world. Such a shame, such a shame to automatically assume and to then put all this pressure on a single person where maybe they don't want to do it. Maybe they don't feel called to it versus like me, I fill so many roles. I'm a pastor. I'm a mom. I'm a chaplain. I'm a wife. I can do all these things. Like I know how to manage my time and where I can lead and do all these things. So I don't think marital or relationship status should automatically negate or promote someone's time or worthiness to do something in the church. Well, and to that point, uh, there are many of us out there who struggle with the ability to say no. Um, regardless of whether or not you're in a relationship. Do you suffer <laughs> and, from helium hand too? I sure do. Oh my God. And like, I don't know, call that what you will. Call that a form of codependency or um, just like a willingness to say yes or just like a lack of certain boundaries. I think that it applies to people regardless of where they're at mm-hmm. in relationships. And to me, it's a good example of like, I guess for like lack of a better word, a lack of boundary will affect you in any like stage or sphere of life too. Like it doesn't preclude you from not having that problem in other circumstances. Yeah. You know what I was thinking about the other week? I feel like this is sort of related. I feel like it was kind of rude of church to make it seem normal that as an adult, you can see 20 plus of your closest friends every week. (laughs) Like (laughs) That is just like not realistic unless you're in church. <laughs> and I don't know, I feel like that could tie into boundaries a little bit in terms of like the social reinforcement of being boundaryless in some ways. Like I th- I think that like being socially enmeshed in something is not in its own right a bad thing. Like I don't think church involvement is in its own right a bad thing. I don't think pursuing that kind of community is in any way on its own. But it could certainly be misused like we were we were talking about on our uh, last episode i believe it was our last episode about the priesthood of all believers and like how somebody can be misused or their time taken advantage of and like the person 
who benefited from that didn't necessarily intend that, but it, it happened anyway. I think that the same thing can happen in these kinds of settings where we often want to see people and be a part of something and like feel like we're contributing. And then in hindsight, it can feel really complicated. And, and I think we arrive at the question of like, well, did I not have good enough boundaries? Or like, should I have said no to a certain thing? Or whether we're applying that to a religious community or a relationship or thinking forward about relationships. I think it's okay to have complicated feelings about your boundaries. Because mm. I think it changes over time, like what, what you need and how you see things. Mm, yeah. I really like Zach's question about like what were bad boundaries that either you set for yourself or were kind of given to you. Mm-hmm. I immediately thought of in terms of like the romantic Christian relationships of how much the concept of like do not be unequally yoked was like forced into my psyche. And in particular, like it was reinforced for me. A lot of people were really worried about me when Dixie and I started dating and she was a professing Mormon at the time. And they were like, Hey man, don't be unequally yoked. She might lead you away from the faith or, you know, (laughs) and look what happened. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Look what happened. Oops. Anyway, yeah, so that was my first thought, like especially in terms of the like the romantic expectations that are placed on us by a religious system. My second idea of like a bad boundary that was given to me was the fact that there was almost no boundary when it came to like my volunteerism or even my staff work at church. Mm. So like it was one of those kind of things where on paper you know, Dixie signed the paper that said this is a part-time job that requires 20 hours a week. And in reality, uh, if we're being honest, she was working upwards of 50 or 60 hours a week, but wasn't being compensated for it because it was like this really weird, nebulous, extremely poorly drawn boundary of you get to say no once you've hit 20, you know, because basically it was like, well, I mean, this still needs to get done. So what are we supposed to do if you don't do it? Right. And all the unspoken expectation was, well, you just got to do it. Yikes. Which leads to burnout pretty quick. Speaking of last episode. But yeah, that that was certainly a bad one in terms of like there were expectations and on paper, it seemed like we would have something to lean on to say like, I'm sorry, I've hit 20 hours this week. We're prepared for Sunday, so I'm not going to put in extra time. There was a ton of uh, like top down pressure to just work through it like get over it like don't you agree we're doing a good thing just be all in i think when i think of boundaries i also think of social norms i know that they're like slightly different concepts but i think that what boundaries are often getting at is like getting you to stay within certain bounds because there are certain scripts and norms to follow like Mm -hmm. for instance in the case of american christianity i think that there's a huge script that's talked about out there that tries to distill the Christian life to church attendance, devotional reading and prayer and religious work. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is often true across denominational lines, regardless of there being evangelical or not. And I think that boundaries in a religious community are often trying to get people like towards goals like that or other similar ones like whether it's like 
you know, sacraments or membership or like I, I totally remember in my last church feeling very explicitly pressured by some people and very like softly encouraged by others to become a member of the church and not invited into, well, I don't know. I guess, I guess I should say I wasn't like not invited into discussion, but I think that like what sticks in my mind is the people who definitely wanted me to follow that script. Mm -hmm. And what doesn't stand out is the other people who like couldn't care less. Cause like, why would, like, why would that stick in my mind? Because like, if they didn't care whether or not I was a member, they wouldn't say anything. You know what I mean? So I think that like the boundaries within a community are often trying to like aim us at a certain behavior, uh, whether that's individual or social. Josh, you hit it on the nose, my friend. I Thank totally you. agree. Because, because think about on a typical Sunday morning, right? Like close your eyes, picture it. You walk into a church and all the pews are facing the same way, blah, 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 right? You have a family who walks in and they have three children, uh, one who's four, one who's seven, and one who's 11. So the seven, 11 year old, if they want to do Sunday school, cool. But otherwise you have one that's going to be in nursery. But what if the nursery attendant is either sick or the child doesn't want to go into the nursery room. So they have to sit in the pews, right? If your child cries or screams, they're not behaving. Therefore, they have to move to a different part of the building separate from the worship space because this is where worship happens. We need to be quiet and orderly and listening to the pastor and praising the music and doing all the things that are structured and ordered. And anything that falls out of that is chaos and ruins the experience, right? How sad is it that it comes down to that where we say, we invite all people, we welcome you, but you need to act a certain way. Your child can't be screaming for you. You need to make sure they're in their place. Like, I'm sorry, boundaries. Uh, like, <laughs> so sad, so pitiful. Uh, that's why I love the sanctuary space in my church because. I get if parents want to leave the room if their child is crying, but still want to be a part of the worship space. And so we have what's called a cry room where you can clearly see the child is crying, throwing a fit, but they're still in the sanctuary and there's glass and you can't hardly hear them, but they're still there. You can see them. And it's it's nice to know that we're not trying to tell people to be a certain way and enforcing it on others in order to be part of or included in a worship experience or a church setting. So I have so many hot takes when it comes to boundaries and families, y'all. Oh, I could go down a rabbit hole, but I don't. I'll, I'll wait. I'll wait my turn. So about these holidays. These holidays. <laughs> <laughs> about these times that we gather with family that can sometimes bear some rather uncomfortable fruit with those blendings that go on. How do you guys think about that? Like I have heard from a lot of people that the holidays do tend to be rather uncomfortable. And I think that maybe I'm an anomaly by the fact that I have honestly just wonderful holidays with my family. Like mm. the, the fundamentalist drive really doesn't, you know, it, it just, it, it isn't a wedge that occurs in my family on both sides of my family miraculously like do you feel like there's anything done or not done on your part that helps mediate that i think there might be if i'm honest the fact that some of my family knows i do this podcast <laughs> some of 
the topics that come up on this podcast don't come up when we hang out. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and not because I I like I am really intentional, like talking to my family. Like if I ever tell a story of my family, I always text them and say like, Hey, I shared this little detail about my family. Are you, or about us? Are you comfortable with me sharing that? Like, especially with my parents and my brother and his family, like I want to be really upfront with that. Like I want you to know like full disclosure before the episode goes out. So it's not like they're afraid that I'm going to tell a story that paints them in a bad light or anything. But yeah, it, it, it's it's more or less unspoken, I guess, that some of these topics just don't come up. And that's not even to say that we even, my family doesn't even disagree on it all that much. It almost just feels like I'm the one in the family who cares to talk about this. And they know since I have an outlet that we don't, we can talk about other things when we're together. Yeah, I feel like for me, I think that as someone who tends to be conflict avoidant, or as I like to term it, preventatively conflict avoidant <laughs> not, <laughs> not that i'm just trying to like get out of it but like in thinking about what i don't what i do or do not want to pick a fight over if i don't think it's worth the conversation or if i don't think that the discussion will be fruitful for people mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. i just i think with my my family for instance i i just tend to not talk about the theological anymore granted i i recognize that that is a bit different when someone wants to talk about the theological and it's, and you definitely know that you disagree with them. And like, that's a whole different like thing to navigate. One of my fallbacks and I don't know, you can like this method or not <laughs> as intellectually honest, but one of my fallbacks is to just kind of default to like Christians disagree about something rather than like put my belief and opinion at the moment just out there for evaluation and personally, I think that that's perfectly acceptable to do. I don't think as contrary to my, some of the things I was taught growing up would teach, I don't think it's completely necessary to wear all of your beliefs on your sleeve. Mm, yeah. And I, like I think it. multiple types of people would disagree with that. But I think that there is a such thing as protecting your peace, because I think that peace is a fruit of the spirit. <laughs> and I think that that, can apply to like who you follow on social media and what kinds of things do or do not like cause you undue stress in terms of like <laughs> like your social media activity. I think the mm-hmm. same thing can apply to relationships. Like if you have some relationship that you want to preserve in some way, I think in some ways that means sacrificing uh, how do I want to say this? Like not every, you're not going to have the same relationship with every person. So therefore you're not going to talk about the same things with every person. Um, Like I'm really into coffee and I have other friends who are really into coffee. And when we get together and we chat about things, we're like, it's usually about coffee. Like we, we, we tend to talk coffee with each other and also probably life a little bit. And we don't talk about everything. There's no time to talk about everything. And I think the same thing can be true for family. I think that sometimes you have to pick and choose. And I think that sometimes it's okay to err on the side of preserving a relationship if it means not talking about certain things. And I'm I'm not saying you should do that for everything. Yeah. Right. Like I, I know that there are like things in families and systems that like need to be talked about somehow. And maybe I'm not the best person to advise on that. <laughs> <laughs> but like I in terms of like uncomfortable conversations or like topics that you're not sure that you want to talk about with people, you don't have to. 
Like, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I honestly have not reached the I, point of like giving like a hard no of like, oh, I don't really want to talk about that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm a little bit happens, more passive about it. <laughs> right. But that needs to happen sometimes. Like, yeah, I do sometimes. think it does. Yeah. I think for the three of us being rather conflict avoidant ourselves, like, uh, imagining that situation is even uncomfortable for me, but that does have to happen sometimes. Like, you know, a conversation begins around the Thanksgiving table about our opinions on the current president. Define current based on whenever you're remembering which holiday you are thinking of. Um, yeah. <laughs> like there, there will come a time where like if I feel uncomfortable having that conversation or like to preserve the relationship I do have with this person who wants to be talking about it and I say, hey, I would prefer for the sake of my enjoyment of this meal and my enjoyment of the rest of this weekend, I would prefer if we don't talk about this. It's one thing to say that. Uh, enforcing that gets a lot harder, especially when they think it's necessary for us to talk about it regardless of your wishes to remain on one side of that boundary. You know what I mean? hundred percent. Like, mm-hmm. goodness gracious, I, I've heard stories of that happening. Again, I can't speak to it in personal terms of like, I've never had to be that confrontational about a conversation with my family, but I'm even thinking in terms of, all right, we are people who identify as other than evangelical, right? And you're having family with evangelical Christians. Did I say you're having family with? Yeah, having family yeah, with your, having family your dinners. With. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And enjoying dinner. <laughs> Just stack on top. <laughs> um, I think it gets really tricky. And it like, and I, I'd kind of be curious to hear what Emily has to say, uh, how she would take it in terms of like pastoral counsel, like how mm-hmm. you would advise someone in this situation. Because you're right, you, you go to a Thanksgiving, you're more of a raveler or a deconstructor or you're deconverted. And religion comes up, Christianity comes up, the Bible comes up and you say, hey, I, for the sake of this meal and our, my time here, I'd prefer not to talk about this. Then you're, you could very well be bumping up into attitudes of, oh no, that means that this is the only thing we should talk about because now we're talking about the fate of your soul mm-hmm. and the boundary you yeah. just tried to put up will be so heavily obliterated. Almost immediately. Yeah. Yeah, like, don't think about elephants. Well, great. Now all I can think about is elephants. I would mm-hmm. rather not discuss the historical Christ and, <laughs> and uh, the question of his divinity at the Christmas dinner. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And now that's all anyone wants to talk about because it's almost like you poked the bear on accident, you know? We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. 
We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. So Emily, I can't imagine your family runs into all that much uh, conflict around that. But like from a like a pastoral care and counseling standpoint, somebody just shared that story with you. Mm-hmm. How would you approach that and how would you encourage them to think about those boundaries? Well, so <laughs> sounds so cliche, but I would ask them, how does that make you feel? Because if they understand their emotions as far as, is it anger? Is it disappointment? Is it something else? Then we can start to navigate what are some mechanisms then that you can have and hold on to that will help you get through those moments. Because sometimes just walking away is not an option. Makes it worse. Sometimes. Sometimes. Hitting it head on is not an option. And so I think for people to understand what is happening then physically and emotionally, you know, are you starting to feel like your shoulders are getting tense? Do you feel like you need to walk around? Right. There are ways that you can then say like, hey, look, I'm, I need to go refill my beverage. You know, I'll, I'll be right back. You're able to leave the situation but you're not creating this awkward moment of, oh, we just pissed this person off. They're now angrily walking out of the room. Like, sure, you can say you're angry. And so how then do you not let that anger consume you to the point where you storm out of the room? How can you leave the situation if it does come down to that point, but do it in a way that holds you in some dignity and respect and does not create even more drama for the situation to continue on in that manner. I like the emphasis on regulating tools, especially Mm -hmm. around emotions and the body, like Mm -hmm. even a mindfulness of the body in those moments of like, yeah, your shoulders are rising because your entire body is telling you to be stressed because you got to protect the neck because Mm -hmm. this is a threat now. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, everything, it's all part of it, right? Yeah. It's all connected. I think it also helps reveal like how most boundaries are actually desires. And like, oh, I think oftentimes boundaries are not as explicit. I think sometimes they are and they're like termed as more like goals. Like you should Mm -hmm. write down your boundaries. But like, I think oftentimes boundaries are, oh, I don't want to do that. Or I don't, I don't really want to take the trash out right now. Like I'm not going to take it out at night. I'm going to take it out in the morning. Or, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of like implicit boundaries that are in ourselves more or less desires that's and i think yeah. that, that absolutely applies to like a social situation really good good on you josh what i'm here for well done <laughs> uh, emily i like that point as well about like the oh man how did you put it like when you were talking about like removing yourself from the situation like and noticing like what you're feeling and stuff and mm-hmm. like motivation i think that the question of motivation can be really important when like i've I don't know. I guess I'm like still thinking about like prevention too, because like I just keep thinking about like how information comes back to haunt you and like post what you want on the internet and like tell your friends what you want to tell them. But like for me, for the last couple of years, I had a friend who did this a lot and I started picking it up. And at first I was really annoyed by it 
But then I was like, oh man, okay, I feel like there is some utility to that. And I guess I would call it the practice of talking about people anonymously. Like, I think a lot of the time there's this, this is going to sound really Christian-y at first um, in terms of like talking about gossip. (laughs) Fair warning. (laughs) I think that there's a temptation to just like lay out everything you know about somebody else and like name them and like talk about them to someone else, whether it's on the internet or in private. But people remember stuff. People remember what you say. And I think that that is, that's not good or bad, but like information comes back. And like, Steven, I think that you texting your family about like, hey, I'm, I told this story, like, just want to make sure you're okay with it. I think in a very similar way, I'm, I'm very careful how I talk about my family. Like, I, I would say that in general, I'm not like the closest person to my parents in terms of having like a, like a best friend relationship or something like that. Um, I live states away and they're aware that I do this podcast and they're aware that I don't go to church anymore. But in like a respectful way, I, I try to not <laughs> talk bad about them. You know what I mean? Like, even though I know for sure that I don't see eye to eye with my parents about many things, I don't feel the, I, I guess I'm, I like, I question my motivation every time I like feel the need to like say something about my parents specifically to someone, whether it's like, on here or in private and just kind of like check myself a little bit to be like, what, like, why do I want to say that? Is it just Mm. like, I want to get it off my chest or like that. I want to give that information about someone to someone else. Mm. I think that like, in a like a preventative way, almost like you can prevent future conflict by just talking about people respectfully. Even if you acknowledge that you disagree with them or you don't like that workplace anymore or whatever, you know, Respect is so important in regards to boundaries. Absolutely. Even if you don't like the person. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Like they are still a human. Like <laughs> I have, like there, there are people that I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> and like it will take, it takes a lot for me to like say something that's like pretty disrespectful. <laughs> and not that I'm like perfect all the time, but like I think that you can, you can admit how you, uh, I was going to say how you feel about someone, but I don't even think that's always necessary either. Like, I think that you can like talk about like, Hey, yeah, I don't know. I have this friend who like, I'm, I'm just feel like I'm not getting along with. It's kind of rough. Like you can talk about a situation. People don't need all the details. People don't need to know mm. who it is mm-hmm. to like be a friend to you. They don't need to know everything. Yeah. And I think that's a perfectly healthy boundary. I was, I forget where I was uh, gifted this phrase, but I love it so much, especially in terms of uh, like, like in my story, here we go, Josh, I'm going to go ahead and tell a story about an anonymous person just after you said that. (laughs) But there was a pair of people who were serving on a team with us at our old church and they had been going here for a long time before we even showed up and we got plugged in um, on the team and just kind of like in the, the whole volunteer orbit around this church. And we pretty quickly established that the four of us, that being them two and then Dixie and me, not very compatible people. We just, we have so few interests in the same veins beyond the church that we were attending and serving at. And we just didn't blend well. And for a long time, 
Dixie and I struggled with the feeling of like needing to reconcile and needing to become friends with them. Almost in the sense of like, well, we're gonna we're going to be around them a lot. We should figure out how to do this well. And truly for years, it just did not work. And then I was given the gift of this phrase, uh, which was, we're all about loving our neighbors and our enemies, but sometimes it's okay to be okay with loving people from a distance. (laughs) And I can't tell you how much I love that concept. I think that is another way to say you can draw a boundary. But loving people from a distance has been such a framework for me to say, much in the same way you were just talking, Josh, earlier, like, there are people I don't like. There are people that I don't like now that I used to like before. Uh, That doesn't mean I don't love them, but loving from a distance means something different to us, and we can both be okay with that arrangement, actually. Mm. Emily, what else you got? I feel like Stephen and I have been chit-chatting, roundtabling this quite a bit, and I want to hear more from you before we're done. Well, so it wasn't necessarily brought up, but it the idea of boundaries made me think of it. How identity in a church is important in regards to boundaries. And I speak that from an experience that I had when I was pregnant. So the church was very excited. I was their first pastor to have a baby. So, of course, you know, they were excited to see a little thing crawling around and growing up right in front of them. But there were some who I don't want to say forgot, but that's how I feel. There were times where people forgot that I now was a mother, like I was taking on a new identity. And when I was done with my maternity leave and came back to work, I brought Thea with me to the church office. We did not have her in daycare. She came with me because I was pumping and breastfeeding. And so she was with me. And there were times where people would be upset that I would have my office door closed. Uh, They would be upset that they could hear Thea crying in the background if she needed a diaper changed or something. And I remember how people were so thrilled for that little baby to be born. Um, But it was like, we only want to see her, you know, when we want on Sunday mornings, nice and quiet, maybe sleeping in a bassinet or whatever. And it was very frustrating to have to tell people, hey, yes, I am your pastor. Yes, I still have a job to do, but I am a mother first. And I am not going to negate my duties to my child feeding my child, changing my child, because you don't like the timing of it. (laughs) You don't like that my child needs to eat every, you know, two hours or whatever the case may be. And I remember very early on in my maternity leave telling my SPR, I'm taking this amount of time off. When I come back, I will have very clear boundaries as far as the things that I can attend and participate in with a newborn. If I have meetings that were past a certain time, I would strictly join online. I would not be there in person because I'm not going to bring my kid nine o'clock at night in the middle of the snow to come attend to this meeting when I can do the very same thing online. And it reminded me of how as staff or volunteer, lay, whatever, having clear boundaries should not ever 
make you constrict other obligations or duties that you have outside of the church. And I was so frustrated when people would want to pin the whole, you're a pastor, like, don't forget, don't forget, you have to do this. It's like, yes, I understand that. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Please don't tell me when I can be a mom because I'm a mom all the time. Mm. That job never ends and it never will end. It changes, it morphs, right? But my role as a pastor will change. And I think people were uncomfortable with that. Mm. So I remember very early in my maternity, you know, talking with some of my mentors, I was like, how do I establish clear, healthy boundaries as a church leader? And I remember there were 10 things that my friends had told me. It was Whoa. 10 things, right? To clearly identify your boundaries, be very clear about it, understanding why you need the boundary, be direct, be specific. Don't ever apologize for your boundary. Apologizing for a boundary undermines your intentionality and it gives others the impression that you're going to be doing something wrong. Um, And then you have to justify or apologize for it. Begin with tight boundaries, like be very firm with them. Address any violations that can occur right away. Choose the right time. So like avoiding temptation to being impulsive or like me, I have helium hand. So like know your limits, choose the right time and create a support system. Have people who will back you up and will help hold you accountable to your boundaries. And I am so grateful for all those people who have done that and continue to do that because that's why I'm not burning out. Like that's why I'm able to be a full-time pastor, be a mom be a chaplain now, you know, and take on other roles in the community because I understand boundaries for myself, for my job, for others. And I have people who support me in that. So if my takeaway would be have people on your side, (laughs) like when it comes to boundaries that you have or want to establish for yourself, whether it is conversation at family gatherings for the holidays or at work, or in church, have people on your side, have people who will back you up, hold you accountable, and ensure that your boundaries are being held. Whoa. Asking ye shall receive, Josh. What a banger. There you go. Wow. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Wow, Emily, it took us half an hour to get to your list of 10 things, and your 10 things are so good. (laughs) Goodness gracious. It's all good. That's what I'm here for. The banger questions and the juicy answers. I loved it. My final thought before we get out of here, I just wanted to reflect on something cool that my family has made explicit in the last couple years that I just, I love to death. It's so good. We are a family that will get together. I'm talking about my immediate family. So my parents and my brother and his family, when we all get together Truly, it is a room of six introverts, and (laughs) there can be pressure to feel like, well, we don't see each other very often. We should be spending every waking moment together, and my family has made it extremely explicit, whether we're just visiting each other's houses or we're going on a vacation to uh, Washington, D.C., for example. We did that a number of years ago. And we have a thing where one of us can literally just say like, "Uh, I'm going to sit this out. Actually, I'm going to take some introvert time. Mm. And then everyone is like, okay, cool. Enjoy. And like, there's no 
pressure to be like, no, come on, come swimming at the pool with us. You're the only one not coming. Like if you invoke introvert time, the rest of us are like, great, please enjoy. We're going to go do this and we'll see you later. I love that. It's so life-giving. It's so good. I was trying to think of something similar, but I, I don't have anything off the top of my head. But you reminded me of the Gottmans from the Gottman Institute. They are famous psychologists here in Seattle, actually, at the University of Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, they're really famous for some of their couples therapy. They actually have a, for lack of a better word, a school of psychology, like school of thought. And one of the things that they talk a lot about in couples counseling is the importance of an emotional bid as in like you're making a bid for attention or connection like steven's example i think is a good example of that because at some point that originated like at some point someone raised their hand and was like hey i think i need some introvert time and then it was on the rest of the group to respect that or or to respond appropriately to that emotional bid and i think that those small circumstances where like you advocate for something softly ends up leading to good boundaries often like when it's done well and like done out of respect and connection and like trying to say like what you need i think that there are many of us who struggle with saying like hey i just need this right now and like that's not out of disrespect that's just like i need a break i'm like checking in with myself that's what i need right now mm. i think that emotional bids in terms of leading to healthy boundaries and healthy relationships. I think that there are many examples of that. So if you want to Google more about the psychology of that emotional bid, look it up. Wow. Wow. If you have thoughts on your own boundaries, you're listening and you're like, I can't believe they're not talking about this. These silly goofs. You can share your thoughts much in the same way that Zach and Courtney shared theirs by calling us on your phone. You could use a landline to call this and then end up on a podcast even. Uh, our number is 601-55-RAVEL, which comes out to 601-557-2835. Uh, leave us a comment. Leave us a question yourself for another episode. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. And I also want to just give another thank you to Robin for our drinks today and for joining the community. We'd love to see it. Thank you. Emily, will you tie a boundary <laughs> for the end of this Yeah. How would you? Episode? How would you draw the boundary to the end? Well, as much as we would love to carry on this conversation, (sighs) all things must come to an end. And so we conclude our time here together. We are establishing a clear boundary of ending this recording so we may start our next recording. So we may stick to our timeline of being done by five o'clock Mountain Standard Time. Uh, Yes, the heart out of five is a boundary. We are intentional when it comes to boundaries <laughs> and respect each other's boundaries. Very if good. there's any takeaway, that's what matters. <laughs>